Hi there. Welcome to The Preventable, the podcast giving you a seat at the table with conversations about the intersection of alcohol, drugs, and mental health in everyday lives. Take a seat and join us. Welcome to The Preventable. With me today are two uh, new friends of mine, new associates of mine, and we're going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, I have with me today Havana Watkins. She is the Partnership Development Coordinator for the Missouri Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. And with her is Nora Mosby, who is the Member Services Specialist for the Missouri Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. Whoa, that's a lot of talking. Basically, I've got Havana and Nora with me. They have two very long titles. Sounds like they know exactly what they're talking about, so they're going to school us today. So first and foremost, uh, some people might be asking themselves, why are there people on the preventable talking about you know substance use disorder and mental health? What is the link between that and domestic and sexual violence? I don't need you to quote stats or anything like that, but why would I have you on this podcast? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for having us, Nicole. We really appreciate it. Um, and I love that question so much because I think we often think about the correlation between domestic and sexual violence and substance use. In fact, substance use is often blamed as a primary cause of both domestic violence and sexual violence, but we know that it is not a causal factor, that um, substance use does not cause domestic or sexual violence, that um, inequalities within a relationship, inequalities within our communities and our culture is what causes domestic violence to happen. Um, and the relationship that exists between domestic and sexual violence is really that, um, People who use substances are, um, are more likely to experience domestic and sexual violence, and people who experience domestic and sexual violence are more likely to use substances. So I would say that is the relationship between those two issues, um, and there's a lot of connections that we could make there, but I also really want to be clear on behalf of our philosophy at the organization I work for, and also the entire anti-violence movement, that it is not a causal relationship. And in fact, you can take away the substances um, that exist within an abusive relationship, and you would still have the abuse, and you can take away the abuse that might be existing within a substance use. And, and so if only it were causal and our job would be a lot easier. <laughs> but. So I would love you to sort of repeat and go back to what you just said, which is that you could take away the substance. So let's say the alcohol. Okay. So let's say we have a woman and I'm going to be using, you know, woman. And I would assume we will be in this conversation a lot, although we do know that domestic and sexual violence can occur to uh, with both genders and and there are definitely women who are perpetrators of violence and and all of that but let's say for this the purpose of conversation that I'm a woman and my partner um, he gets abusive when he drinks and so what I think I heard you say is that even if you took away the alcohol, there would still be 
elements of inequality and some power dynamics that result in that violence. Is that correct? Did I get that right? That's absolutely what I'm saying. Yes. That I think for a lot of people is pretty earth shattering because yeah, they might and only I, see I feel those like... behaviors, right? When the substance is present or maybe that's when it really escalates. And so I know that some people might I... think, well, he's fine when he's sober. Right. And I think a lot of times people that use abuse in their relationship will blame the substances, will blame drugs or alcohol on the violence that they're perpetrating against their partner. But in fact, that's not the core issue of what's causing the violence. Um, There's another connection to be made that when substances are involved in violence, sometimes the violence can be more severe. Um, But again, it's not causal because if you take away that substance use, yes, the abuse would still be there. Um, And that's why we can't just treat domestic and sexual violence or prevent domestic and sexual violence by preventing substance use because there's just not that causal relationship. Okay. Well, now you're speaking my love language because I'm all about prevention. So in my past life, I was a sexual assault prevention educator and I would tell people what I did and they would go, how do you prevent sexual assault? Like just wear more clothes. Okay. I know. Right. Okay. So, (laughs) right. So how do you like, tell us a little bit how the sausage is made. How do you prevent domestic violence and sexual violence? How do you, how do you prevent that? Yeah, so that's a good question, right? Like, there are many layers to that. So, yes, I grew up in the same time frame where it was like, you know, your skirt needs to be longer because blah, 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 putting the onus on, you know, the female woman and on me on how I dress when no, they shouldn't be creepy. They shouldn't do inappropriate things. So, you know, I think a lot of times we try to ensure that we are doing things in a multi-layer fashion, right? So it starts with sex education in a school. Let's talk about all the things that are happening. Let's talk about healthy relationships. What's normal? What's not? What's okay? What's not? But it can't just be one-sided. We need to have this in all areas, right? Conversation pieces at school, conversations at doctor's offices, conversations in the community. Even when we're going in and educating, when you think about like parents as teachers, like You're talking about how to raise your children, how to make sure they're in a healthy environment. That's a perfect opportunity to start having some of those conversations and not just delay it to high school or college and, you know, click a button. You went through the 15 minute training. Now you're not going to do that. But having real tangible conversations about what healthy relationships look like and what they aren't, because. Also, in my time, and I'm really telling my age here, like we didn't have these conversations, right? It was just like, at least my experience is like, you don't have sex, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you know, so just don't do drugs, understand. just don't have sex. Don't, <laughs> just don't do no, it. Don't do drugs. Yeah. Don't, don't have sex. Just don't do anything. <laughs> but it wasn't any conversation around it. And if you think about particularly generations and what they saw, it's a little bit different. But now... We have access to the internet. We have access to phones. Our kids have tablets so much younger now. And how do we censor that? And when we can't be everywhere at the same time, right? So it's starting to have those conversations, talking about what it is and normalizing 
what's okay and what isn't and having good conversation, good education on, on multiple le- levels. And then also we understand that no matter what we do to try to prevent, it's going to happen in some form or fashion. Yep. When someone says something to you that an incident occurred, believe them. Just believe them and support them. Don't shut them down. Don't ask them questions to shift the blame, right? Like, what were you drinking? Were you at a college party? Were you blah, blah? Let's not do that. Instead, let's be more comforting and understanding and seeing what services that we can seek out immediately to try to help um, survivors out. Because if you get the wrong response initially, you're probably not going to be likely to come back and tell you if something else does happen or maybe some other things have happened and you finally got the guts to come up, but then you feel like you're not believed and it just, it's just bad outcomes all, all the way around. So I just believe in multiple layers, having the same message and just starting it off young. Well, I knew I, 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 knew I love, liked you. love so nope. many of the things that you just mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. So Nicole, I have to say that prevention is our love language as well. Like we get so excited. And what I love about prevention is that I think it inspires hope. It inspires hope that we can come together in communities and we can end domestic and sexual violence. We know what causes it and we know how to prevent it. And I just think that is so exciting to think exactly about what we can do each and every day to increase the safety of our communities and to ensure that someday in the future, maybe not in our lifetime, but someday in the future, that people won't have to experience these traumas anymore because we have done our due diligence and everything that we could with passion, fortitude, um, and commitment to to ending violence. Um, And I think that that's another connection that we have with substance use um, prevention is that we know what causes it and we now have strategies evidence-based research strategies that are proven to prevent these things. Um, and so I get, it's a, okay. I think it's, a, so, it's an exciting part of our work. I agree. And it's one that's hard to understand. And, and so sometimes, you know, it, it's easier, so to speak, to focus on the downstream things that you might see more in mainstream media. I know that when that um, show Made came out, you know, uh, the local centers just saw like a real uptick in calls. And that is, that's something tangible we can see. We don't always necessarily know whether it's with, you know, domestic violence and sexual um, violence prevention or substance use prevention. There's no magic pill you can take to like make it not happen. There's a lot of nuanced solutions and uh, conversations and dialogue that need to happen and some policy uh, changes as well. So um, I, you all just sparked so many things for me. So one, you said you know what causes it. Uh, what causes it? Blow everyone's minds. What is it? <laughs> what is the thing? What causes it? Uh, oh. Easy. Uh, so social inequality is the root cause of both domestic and sexual violence. So the driving force that... Um, makes one person feel that they are entitled to um, harm another person, either in an intimate partner relationship or not, is unequal um, power um, that can take the form of different types of oppression, sexism, um, racism, homophobia, ableism, 
and so on. And so all we have to do if we want to prevent domestic and sexual violence is address these social inequalities and dismantle oppression. Easy? Oh, okay. Easy. <laughs> easy. Easy peasy. Check yeah. Easy peasy. Yeah. Right. But we really believe in, yeah, easy, no problem. We really believe in, and Hanavana has a lot of background in um, health and health promotion, but we are, I think, have become increasingly more committed at the coalition to applying a health equity approach to violence prevention, mm -hmm. because within that approach, we are increasing wellness of a community. We're facilitating heal healing within a community on a wide scale that is kind of um, equalizing those power imbalances that exist within our society. Um, Havana, you mentioned- And with, with a health equity approach- Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say with a health equity approach, we can really draw on tools that come to us from um, the field, the public health field and those tools that come to us from public health have a wide scale impact and are very promising for preventing not only violence, but also yeah. issues around substance use as well. Totally. Yeah. Havana, you mentioned that one of the things we can do, if we can't prevent it, we can at least believe, believe and support. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think that I sometimes uh, err a little too much on the extreme and when I hear of someone who is going through something, I put on my fixer hat and I'm like, okay, well, then you need to leave and you need, we need a, we can do a safety plan and you can come stay at my house and I'll figure out where your dogs can go. And I realize I still do it, which is not good, but I realize that that is also not helpful. Because just like it might take somebody seven to 10 times to, you know, enter treatment for substance use disorder until it sticks, mm -hmm. it might take somebody mm -hmm. several times to leave, right, before it actually sticks. Mm -hmm. And so how, how could I, as like an ally, show support without being super judgmental and pushy? For sure. I mean, and I thank you for being honest, but I think we all kind of fall in it at some point. Even, I mean, you're an advocate at heart. You've been an advocate forever. Just because you're not there anymore doesn't mean you're not an advocate, <laughs> right? True. And so we all fall into that, right? Like we have all the answers and it's kind of like a double-headed sword because we, we know all the things, right? Um, which is kind of a disadvantage for us. But some of the things I know that we can kind of do to support is just after believing what is it that you want to do? How can I support you? It may not be today, but it may be a little bit of the, hey, Nicole, I'm gonna give you $50 every paycheck. Can you just stuff that away for me? Hey, um, I think I'm ready. Do you happen to have some resources available? Like just kind of helping them because they only know their situation. We're not living it. They know what's safe. They know if they try to take the kids, what'll happen. They know if they leave in the middle of the night and get caught with no money. What will happen like that? That's their entire world. So no one knows their abuser better than the person that's in that situation. So supporting them and trying not to be frustrated. And I know it's hard. I'm guilty of it too. Like, oh my gosh, why couldn't, you know, we want to fix everything. But I think just meeting people where they are and supporting them. And when they're ready, having those resources readily available, like, hey, I know so-and-so said, check this website out. Oh, they house pets. Oh, this one 
it's a really good place. So when they're ready, you have those resources ready and together. And I think that's where the education and that partnership comes in, where, you know, agencies like yours are just kind of having candid conversations like this. And maybe someone will hear it and look mm-hmm. on the coalition's website and be like, oh, yeah, there are some resources there just for whenever they're ready. Same thing. Oh, the coalition was on a prevent. Oh, okay. So substance use things. Cause I mean, we know it shows up. So I think those community partnerships, even if you're not directly in line with those works, we listen to the radio, we listen to podcasts, you know, if we could just get that education out there in the community and just having small bits of conversations. I think it'll go a long way. So the other night I was handing out Halloween candy And I decided that I wanted something to watch in the background. And because I'm me, I was like, oh, let me put on a documentary. And on Netflix is a show called, I think it's called I Am a Stalker or something. You know, light Halloween watching. And um, you have a staff person who's featured to talk about uh, like the first episode, right? And I think something that struck me, so I'm watching it and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to be on the podcast. But I think stalking is something that people don't draw a through line between that and what it can be linked to. And like, oh, they're just controlling or like, oh, they're just so jealous. Like, and at what point does it become stalking? And I know every state has different, you know, rules and regulations but a kudos on being uh, highlighted on netflix for the work that you're doing and b talk to me about the connection between stalking and dv and sv well thanks for the shout out to the show we're all really excited about it um our chief public affairs officer matthew huffman um was interviewed for the show and he had to sign an nda and so wasn't able to talk about it and uh, let us know about the show until it was released but it finally came out and he was able to talk about it and i think he did a great job talking about some some of the dynamics about stalking um we really draw upon the uh, definition of just two or more unwanted contacts um, as as the definition of stalking. And what I've only seen one episode of the show so far, but what I think it captured so well about some of the dynamics of stalking is just that when it is not taken seriously, when stalkers are not held accountable for what they're the harm that they are committing, it escalates. And it escalates sometimes with really, really dire consequences, as showed in that first episode, um, where it resulted in the murder of somebody. Um, And if that stalker and that abusive person had been accountable for the first stalking relationship that he was in, maybe it could have saved a life. I, um... I think that's exactly right. I'm I'm only like three episodes in, but I do think it shows and it, it emphasizes why we need to take this seriously. Like that, it's important why we need to take it seriously. Um, I could honestly talk to you all all day um, because I think what you're doing is so important. And you're right. I forget who said it, but. We don't know when folks are going to be ready, but when they're ready, we need to go. We need to be mobilized and we need to get them the resources and get them the help. Um, And that is something you all do. You provide linkage and education, and that is critical. So if someone is listening today 
and they want to find out more information, we'll obviously link everything to you in the chat. But is there like a, do you all operate a crisis line or is there like a text app or something that you wanted to plug just in case somebody needed some, some guidance now? Sure. Well, I would always refer people to our website. Okay. We do have a directory on our website um, at www.mocadsv.org. Um, and there's a tab that says, um, need help question mark and you can click on that tab and find a directory of domestic and sexual violence advocacy programs located throughout the state of Missouri. So that's a great starting place to go if you're looking for services. Um, if you have questions about public policy, laws, resources, support that's available about survivors, give our office a call. We are always happy to talk through those kinds of resources. Um, if you're looking for 24-hour support, so our office is only open Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. If you're looking for support available 24 hours, there is a National Domestic Violence Hotline, and that phone number is 1-800-799-7233. So survivors can get um, 24 hour support by calling that national hotline. But for any questions about services related to Missouri, please give our office a call. We're happy to chat. And I noticed, Nora, that you said survivors, not victims. And that's a whole other separate episode where we can talk just about the language <laughs> and the evolution of language in this field because it's come a long, long way. Thank you both so much for being here. I love here. talking about language. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, <laughs> listeners, if you've liked what you heard, if you want um, more um, just fascinating conversations like these, uh, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to The Preventable. Thank you. Thanks for joining us at The Preventable, brought to you ad-free by PreventEd. PreventEd works to reduce or prevent the harms of alcohol and other drug use through education, intervention, and advocacy. Please visit their website at prevented.org. Like what you heard? Rate, review, and subscribe to stay up to date with what we are serving on The Preventable.